Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week, I was joined by Corey Sika. Corey is the editor of the New York Times Style section. We talk about everything from intergenerational conflict to self-care to how Corey is modernizing the style section. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Wow, that's how this thing starts? <laughs> I love it. We just go right in. Right. We go right in. We, gotta, we go right in. It's a big thrill to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, thank you. You've got a lot uh, You got a lot to live up to Whoa. because Taylor Lorenz uh, was our most popular episode ever. She's the most popular person ever <laughs> in my life. Okay, you have occupied a bunch of different jobs, Uh-oh. I think, in the media landscape that make it interesting. I mean, one, you've actually run a media business, right? I mean, you could call, that's a lot of quotes around a lot of those words. Yeah, but sure. I know, I know. Uh, you dealt with the platforms and you're at Vox. Um, uh, you've also a reporter. You also were an editor of Gawker and, a, and an author. So l- let's start with the Gawker thing because this is the story of, of our times that never seems to end. Um, and, you know, most recently, uh, Deadspin is is now um, going through a lot of changes under Geo Media. You know, you were there during, I don't know, it's close to its heyday, right? Oh, every day at a Gawker Media Properties. That's yeah, well, what what years were that? I mean, I last worked at Gawker in two thousand and seven. I mean, this was a long time ago. So uh, it was definitely not a day day. It was pretty pretty garbagey actually. But uh, you know, I I just I I love the proud tradition of Gawker Media Properties uprising and quitting at once. I mean, like it's a classic. It's that's yeah. what Gawker's built on. The staff has to overthrow its leadership every once in a while. But is it a bit of an end of an era? Yeah, it's a bit of an end of an era in terms of, um, like, uh, employing, like, idealistic, smart journalists, probably. Like, I, I, I was sort of the last pirate ship, which I, I feel bad that we don't have anymore. Yeah, but now we have unions. Now we have unions. It's sort of a trade-off. <laughs> and unions should protect pirate ships. Like, this should work. Like, and I, and I, Deadspin wasn't the last. There's others out there, and there's people doing great stuff, but... Um, I, I, you know, I guess I'll take the unions in exchange. I don't know. Yeah. So you started the all. What did you, um, what did you learn from running a media business? Um, so my business partners and I, uh, ran the all for seven or eight years. We, uh, Digiday's got us beat by four. You're in, yeah. you're in the year 11. Yeah. Year? That's, or 11 that's years old. the last, uh, the last blog of the aughts sort of <laughs> standing kind of the, uh, what did I learn from media business? I learned that, uh, it sucks. Yeah, I learned that you. I learned that honestly, when people come in and they say like, the, "Well, the truth about this business is you have to do that," is they're just full of. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, sure. Oh, they're full of crap. Like, uh, not even swear. <laughs> is it crap a swear? <laughs> I work at the New York Times. I know. I don't like to say. Gosh darn. <laughs> the. Uh, the, it's just like every time I would say like, well, this thing is really working. We should triple down on this. Then the opposite thing would happen and some market shift would happen and, and or content shift would happen or delivery mechanism would change. And and then I, everything I knew so deeply would turn out to be totally wrong. So all these assured people come on your podcast all the time and I've listened to it and I, <laughs> many of them I love very much. They're all going to have different jobs in three years and you know all the things they believe now, they're going to have to do a 180 on at some point. They're right at this moment. Yeah. Um, and but that goes for you too. What were the, uh, <laughs> I, I don't go back and check myself. Uh, but what were the, le- I mean, it was an ad supported business and yes. nowadays everyone's saying, oh, you gotta, you gotta get direct consumer revenue. Um, any lessons from that? 
Yeah. I mean, so my big transition is moving from a life spent in ad-supported businesses into a subscriber business. And the New York Times is 4.9 million subscribers now. It is like... It is, it's amazing. It's like light, it's like light in life. And it's like, it just totally changes how you go to work. The whole situation feels different. Like, and I love advertising and, and, and I love, who says that? I love advertising. I mean, I actually do love advertising. I think it's really cool. It's a cool art form. But I, I just think that like the value I can deliver to advertisers is someone who's bringing an audience that wants to pay us money to hang out with us. And like, that's, like it just changes how I go to work and it's like and it changes how you think about audience and traffic and page views and chart beat. like it just changes your soul all the way down okay so style how about I mean, that I mean you're looking to drive subs yeah yeah I'm looking I mean, to drive subs in, in, in people who may or may not have thought the New York Times wanted them to subscribe to especially okay so it's been two years um, I think you've modernized style style's always is being modernized. It's a <laughs> perpetual state of modernization. <laughs> I suppose, as time goes on. Um, I mean, the fact is, when you look back in the old stuff, it's there's some crazy stuff in there. Like what? I mean, they were going hog wild back when we were all kids. Like, you know, the, the, the you know, and every generation has its moment. But, I mean, I think in many ways, text reporting was more radical in the 70s and 90s than it is now. Okay. But we can get back to that. Okay. Okay, we can get back to it. But <laughs> when you... When you were going for this job, what was you know what was the case that you made for for you um, to to be the person to do it? You know, I wrote some memo that I don't remember, and I've never looked at it again. Like never looked really? back. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it frightened them, but I'd never written a memo before. So, what I didn't was know frightening what I was doing. about it? You must remember some. <sighs> I just remember promising like a little bit of narrative and a little bit of um, not being beholden to. It's just you know, it's and not being that nice. Like I feel like my job is to make trouble. Okay. And I think that's what the Times needs. Okay, why? Because it's when you, the one thing that happens when you, and I, when I first started freelancing at the Times, people said to me, like, people change themselves when they start writing here or working here. It's not the institution. They do this to themselves. And so you become like the stodgy gray person yeah. who's like, well, to hear both sides and on the other hand. And Amidst like you start turmoil, questions <laughs> remain. <laughs> For some, some agitation. Like you just do that to yourself. And I've done, and I felt it too. I'm like, well, this thing seems pretty spicy. We better be careful. Like, and I, and I resist that. And, and I feel like, you know, the job is to, my, the job of the section is to upset people. Like, Styles' desk covers change. It covers generational change. It covers change in how we talk about gender. It covers young people. It covers technology. Like, and it covers love, marriage, and how we look. Like, those are all things that are incredibly fraught at this time, and they're supposed to upset people. Okay. So that's how you describe the, the mission of Style because it is a very broad remit. It is. It's the, you know, it's like when we, we're next to the, cooking slash dining group and it's like well you have a they have a very wide impression of what they do in that space and they're doing excellently at it but it's about food okay and ours is about people it's about fashion people love how we live it's about i mean i usually i go to work and i'm like well we're about divorce like you know i mean we're about i mean we're we are supposed to be about how society is changing okay what are you not about then yeah, that's that's the other problem. We're not. I mean, there's almost nothing. Like, honestly, I had a meeting recently with my uh, superiors, and they're like, "You need to cover car culture more." And we live in our cars in America. Like, we America loves cars. And I was like, "You're right. I love my car." Like, let's talk about. Car-. So I just realized when we said that I was supposed to cover cars, like, wow, we really are the everything bucket. 
Okay. So, but you're, you're looking at expanding the audience for the times or just bringing a different lens to it? Because I think at this time, particularly with impeachment, everyone goes yeah. to the politics part yeah. and the Trump part. But for the most part, you operate outside of that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our resources are appropriately devoted to sort of what is kind of the story of our lifetime. Yeah. So I'm going to, they got it covered. They're professional. I'm going to let them do that. They're doing okay. Right, but the time, but the times is 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 more than that. I mean, yeah. I think that's you know, in going to the on the business side to go go to ten million subscribers, mm-hmm. it can't just be you know people who are obsessed with our political situation, and and part of that has to be um, to expand the Times brand. Yeah, and I and I, I mean, there's a lot of questions about what what is the role of a of a. I don't even know what word to use of a of a of a news generating property at this point in time. Like I I do want people, and I and I and to talk to sort of your audience more. Like I, when I started my job here, I thought of myself as very top of the funnel. Like it was really mm-hmm. about like I'm just gonna go big and like get people in here and like see how they feel and they'll hit our paywall and they'll feel comfy and they'll be like I can't live without the New York Times. I'll give you my money. And now I feel my, that we're more in a little bit. One of the things we hear from readers, to be very sincere for a moment, is that I'll put on my podcast voice for this part. That's good. My podcast voice. The uh, is that they want a community. I hear that people are lonely. When we do research, we hear that um, people want to. They want guidance, and they but they want to build. They want to build a situation that that is community that is reflective of them or that challenges them, but like helps them. So, uh, and that's very antithetical to how news organizations think. We're all about delivery and giving things to people. And instead, mm-hmm. people want to be informed and also have a part in it or to have a discussion with it. So I'm thinking now a lot about what it means to be in the middle part of the funnel, which is about like creating community with people. So give an example. I don't know. And this is where I'm talking about it because we're like working at this. But it's, it is changing our coverage and it is part of what generated us covering and kind of uh, breaking off self-care as part of the desk. Yeah. So when we're saying to people like, well, if we're the New York Times, what yeah. I can bring is I can hire a reporter and a fact checker to talk about the things that you put on and in your body. Yeah. But and, you're going to cover it seriously. Yeah, we cover it seriously. Not like uh, making fun of it like this is... This no. is bizarre. No, because this was written and created by people who do this stuff. Like it's we're not right. like being like, oh, I've heard some kids are using C B D. Like, you know, we're we're well, road it be, testing. It would be more like have you have you have you seen what they're selling at goop sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. That that could be one angle. Yeah, no, but that I mean, and I'm all about covering the business of power and, and goop in the world, but um but really in general, it's like people are saying, Hey, I'm buying this stuff is this work? Like, my friends all tell me to take fish oil. Should I? And the answer is, no, you're not a fish. Don't take fish oil. It's <laughs> stupid. You're throwing away money. And, like, we're being scammed right and left in this world. And, like, I think the Times can, like, engage with people as a community and, like, help each other. I don't know. It sounds, like, cheesy. But, like, I, I really do think it's, like, we can talk to people and and that we have the luxury of these resources. And because it's a subscriber business, I want to do the best possible, like, honest job with people. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. So you talked about, like, pissing people off a little bit. Mm, I do like that, too, though. Give me, give me a couple examples where you think you've delivered on that. Well, I, I, I kind of want to make everyone a little bit unhappy in turn. Um, I do think that um, when we cover the weddings of homeless people, like, it's kind of uh, jabbing a bit into the history of the wedding's desk. 
um, yeah. like which was a social register function essentially for many decades. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to undermine that. Extremely rich people yeah. having um, extremely la- lavish weddings, that kind of thing. Yes. So, and so we look at that, um, you know, we try to, it's funny, we try not to be doctrinaire, um, but it's hard because I feel like, especially when we're talking about young people, the stakes are really high in their lives and they feel really, um, not threatened, but I think they feel really, I think they feel really attacked to use like a hilarious phrase. Like, and I, and I kind of, and I do want to like interrogate some of the assumptions that young people have, but they have different, they feel differently about the world. They, um, use the word trauma constantly and they talk about um, feeling unsafe and they talk about privacy in a way that's very different from my generation, which mm-hmm. is also your generation, I yes. believe. We are old Gen Xers. <laughs> the forgotten generation. <laughs> I want to get to that. It. I want to get to that with the, the OK Boomer plague but, that you yeah. <laughs> uh, unleashed, you and Taylor, Taylor. both unleashed on Taylor. this world. God bless her. Um, actually, let's just, let's just start there because sure. this has been traumatic for me because it's, it's been thrown my way and I'm like, no, I'm wow. not, I'm not a baby boomer. Um, Ooh, but so explain how that story, first of all, came about, um, and why it worked so well. You know, I, I actually, we talked about this in a, in a meeting and, and I think that Taylor had, was like on week two or whatever. She had just started basically at the times. And, um, you know, and it's just her knowing her beat so well. She was said, this thing is bubbling. This thing is happening right now. She's like, I need to write about this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been in a meeting for six hours. And <laughs> Natalie Shuttler, who's one of our news editors said, um, you, if we need a way for you to talk about the fact that this is a real thing, like maybe merchandise is one way to talk about that. And so she reported on that. I mean, and I, so Taylor just started, I sit next to her when I sit next to people when they're new and I listen to how they report. Taylor is like, people wouldn't know this. She just rolls calls. She's like, Hey, it's it's on the phone reporting. It is old school, like digging on people. Like it's crazy. It's not just DMS. No, she won't report by DM. She (laughs) talked about this. It's really (laughs) interesting. I, I talked to her, I'm fascinated because she's like, no, I take it to phone. And I hear on the phone being like, I need to know your legal. Like, she's like digging, like yes. she works on like. Put uh, your whatever. mom on the phone. Yeah. Put your mom on the phone, kid. <laughs> and so anyway, but she saw this story happening in the space that she knows so well. I was like, we have to do it. And we just did it fast. And the headlines helps, but it's not the best headline for the story, I don't think. But it, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. It was just the moment. That's all. It was just sort of Taylor's genius. Why do you think it struck a chord, though? I mean, because this generational conflict is is always mm. a fertile ground. Um, but it, it seems like ground that you certainly want to occupy. Yeah, I, I think it really is interesting as, as I, you know, I had just sort of, this is going to sound hilariously old, but I had just sort of, like, figured out millennials. <laughs> and, like, you know, there's a new crop of kids, and yeah. they hate the millennials. Like, it's going to be great for us. We're yeah. just gonna sit here quietly as Gen Xers. Exactly. We're gonna ride this out to the end. <laughs> like we did, we told them this was gonna be bad. Like we knew all along. Yeah. You should feel very smug. <laughs> well, I think we were early on to the indifference thing, which which <laughs> the world could use a lot more of now. But I do think that, um, and I think that I, the one thing I don't love but I am fine with essentially is that like making, there's a lot of Reddit groups and Facebook groups that are making fun of how old people, older people and old people use the internet. Yeah. Um, which are both hilarious and sort of terrible. And honestly, as someone who's like walking around with the flashlight on his phone on the other day, I was like, Oh, <laughs> it comes for all of us. They're coming. <laughs> well, there is, there is an ageist aspect yeah. to okay. Boomer, which you have to finesse around. That being said, 
they did try to destroy the planet. <laughs> and maybe so did we. That's or we true. all did it together. That's true. No one made us eat all those chickens. <laughs> That's true. Um, so talk to me about Modern Love oh, yeah. and what the plans are there. Modern um, Love is... That's another boomers. franchise that I really thought of that um, you've modernized to, I think, an interesting degree. A little, yeah. Modern Love uh, is 15 years old now. It's all been in the hands of Dan Jones since its inception. Uh, it was birthed by him and, I believe, his partner. And, uh, you know, we're carefully talking about, like, and he does read everything. And I just want to, people who are listening, he reads every submission and writes back to everyone and has done that for 15 years, which is the work of a crazy person. Uh, but he's talking about, like, who gets to write one and what these topics are and how we, and one of the things that comes up for me a lot and it's true about the times in general, is that we write about people's experience with difference more than we write about people's experiences being different. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like we had an essay the other day that I liked a lot, but it was about someone whose father had a gender transition. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm actually interested in hearing from this person's father. Like, uh, let's let's go. <laughs> let's take the next level. Dan's thinking about that a lot. He... Um, and, and I think also that the second uh, TV season with Amazon will reflect that. Too. Mm -hmm. So talk about that, about expanding these these kind of franchises into beyond beyond text. The age of intellectual property, which actually <laughs> I think is really fun. Like it's really interesting, and it's fun, and it's and it's like and because we're a bunch of people who grew up like typing, we're like, well, I made an article, and it's like <laughs> this article could be a lot of things. It could be a delightful podcast. It could be. Where we just chat about being older, the uh, so it was great. Like it was, it was definitely an interesting moment um, being in a kind of partnership with a large company called Amazon uh, that we cover very vigorously. Um, it went great. It was fine, and I think it was a it was good for all of us to try on too. And it, mm -hmm. and it was delightful, and I, and it was great. Honestly, for us, what we took away from it was like we said, hey, this is a moment for people to learn about the Modern Love podcast and like sort of explore some of our greatest hits. And then and also for us to think about what we want Modern Love to be going forward. Yeah. But are you actively looking for these kind of franchises? Yes. Like within your... You know, so I used to work with Gavin Purcell at Vox Media. When he was had a video there, he now runs whichever show that is late at night, the late... Late, late show? Late, late. night. Um, sorry, Gavin. The, um, so he, I mean, he, and he used to say to me, like, it's about formats. Like, all of this stuff that we make is format. And I think about this all the time. Like, e good email newsletter is a great format. And those formats should, like, transport themselves from print to digital to audio to TV. Like, there, if you have a, a really nice, sweet hook or whatever, like, take it, take it to the next place. Mm -hmm. what, what other areas are you looking at for franchises? Well, because Modern Love was really successful, we do look at personal narratives. Um, we're tinkering with some stuff that's um, a little more in the first-person space, too. In the first-person space. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that at my, in my TED Talk. <laughs> and then, um, but like, and, but I do think, like, the personal essay got stuck sometime in the 90s. I'm kind of interested in finding ways to unstick it. Like, it's, it's a format. How do you mean it got stuck? It's like the revelation of the self, like got stuck in this like twelve hundred word document with a twist, and it's like okay, that's been. I mean, I guess you could say that about the literature of the eighteen fifties. Yeah, but so what are you what, what are you finding that you're doing less at style now than before? That's a really strangely loaded question, probably. Um, one of the things I rail I rail about articles. I tell people to stop writing articles. 
like tell me a great story. Okay. Like, tell me, uh, and it's like don't write an article. No, no one. Needs, so we're trying to do less articles. We're trying to another thing we're trying to do is we try and are looking at ways to let visual editors in the in the newsroom lead stuff when uh, either digital or or art directors in print or photo editors are like, hey, what about this? Like we're not being like, yeah, whatever, go go sign an illustration. You know, we're trying to say like, hey, what is what is this story that you see or what is this thing you're seeing in the world and how can we collaborate with visual people leading it? Um, that's kind of how we make some of our weirdest stuff, which I'm enjoying. Like what's an example? This person who's an editor and whose work hi- hybridizes visual and stuff, She was she's making something with a visual editor on the desk that's going to have journalism in it and interviews in it and text in it, but is really about a visual experience. And so they're making something and I'm like, you know what? Go go to your lair mm-hmm. and make this weird thing for the end of the year and like great. So we're doing more of that and that is trying to make us fewer articles. Okay. What what's been surprising about being in the New York Times? Uh, because I'm sure you went into it with like a lot of like conceptions. I mean, you'd written for them before, but being in the building every day is a different story. Yeah, you never really know what places are like till you work there. It's really true. <laughs> and, like, I tried to report it out before I worked there, and I couldn't figure it out. The thing I tell—I don't sh- probably shouldn't say this in public. Is this public? <laughs> no, is, no, this no, is no. podcast our private no. podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't on at all. Phew. <laughs> well, in that case, <laughs> let me tell you about— No, uh, the—so um, what's funny is, like, everyone— Everyone, including myself, and and I said this to a lot of people, is that say, um, oh, the New York Times did this, the New York Times did that, and I'm like, you know what? We are a loosely affiliated, centrally driven uh, group of people with different interests, with shared obligations and somewhat shared values. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. many times, many people in the building have no idea what I'm up to, and like many times, like I'm publishing stuff that may or may not cause a problem for other people there this is too big a newsroom for everyone to know what's going on at yeah. some level it's so not, like and i think that when people said the new york times did this how can you all people be like that i'm like well i don't, I don't even know him <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah. not, no, not that i don't support that other person but like they see us that when i say they i mean many different constituencies including my friends and probably my family see us as this people with an agenda we're not organized enough to have that <laughs> exactly. So I probably shouldn't say that, but like I, I, you couldn't possibly be get however num- number of people are in that newsroom together. Right. Um, so final thing, I want to I want to circle back to the self care. Oh, um, yeah. Let's. What are we gonna do? Are what we gonna are you, do? Some sort of masks I, I know, together. Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling rather dry. We're gonna we're gonna do some tweakments um, <laughs> later. We just wrote about tweakments today. Thank so. God, someone did. Um, explain what 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 do you find most interesting in this from a societal Ooh. perspective? Um, because I think it says a lot to, to this feeling that everyone feels overwhelmed and and stressed out more so it seems like than ten years ago. To you. Um, I mean, I can't even tell at this point. Mm, you're so used to it. That's sad. <laughs> that's that's why I'm doing tweakments. That should be your other podcast. <laughs> your road back to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, wait, what? I'm so high right now. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I swear, don't fire me. The uh, the um, yeah. No, we just uh, we just. I mean, what is what is your approach to this this? phenomenon i think it's a phenomenon I, it's definitely it literally I, it is a phenomenon 
it, it's a branded right? it phenomenon. It is bigger than anyone over the age of 40 can even imagine. Like I, and self-care encompasses journaling, it encompasses writing, it encompasses therapeutic, it encompasses astrology, it encompasses CBD. Like it's not- ASMR. Oh God, yes. I was listening to Rain so. last night. That sounds great. <laughs> we should just do an ASMR podcast. I'd be so happy. <laughs> Oh, if anyone made it this far, you should feel soothed. The um, I, and I, I just think this is a generational change, and I and I think that people who are older than me, some people who are older than me, and this doesn't go for everybody, uh, are like you know, and I think this is a little Gen Xy too. Like we suffered. Like you have to suffer when you're young. You should suffer. Yes. And it's not. <laughs> no. That's... And also that the younger generation isn't going to stand for that. They don't They don't care. They don't want to suffer. And I don't want them to suffer. I want <laughs> them to feel good. Why should they have to go through the horrible garbage that I went through as a young person? Okay, but when it comes to like the self-care, what is like the sort of style mm. approach to it? So far, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but the biggest, and this ties together our technology coverage and our self-care cover, self coverage, is that we are talking about the people who use these products. We're talking about, um, we're not talking about people's parents or people from the outside. We're talking to people and for people who actually do this stuff. So when we cover Instagram, we're talking about people who use the technology of Instagram and the games they play on Instagram with other human beings. And when we're talking about self-care, we're talking about people who actually put things on their bodies and how they do it. So that's the unifying practice. The times historically will have been one step removed from that, mm -hmm. which sounds funny to call out, but that is what we do. Be like, hey, what are you, what are those kids doing in their bedrooms? It's like, <laughs> we need to go into the bedrooms. That sounds weird, but you know what I mean. It's an all new New York Times. But that's but that's it. We need to talk to people really directly where they are, and we don't. We need to do things, you know, where we uh, talk to people who have real lives. Okay. Final thing is, uh -oh. um, and I, I think I, is this a I think I know. Review? I think I know. It's not at all. I'm getting fired. I think. Well, you did say that you were so high earlier. It's fine. Um, they, don't, they don't drug test anymore. I don't. Think. Oh, really? Mm, Times have sure changed. Is the topic of hate shares. So you're oh, saying you yeah. don't do any um, pieces of content specifically because you know it is going to get a lot of hate shares. Yes, I am adamantly opposed. <laughs> I'm I'm very pro the practice of reading for for hate. I'm against creating hate raids. I mean, I'll produce things that I know that people I know will despise and will hate. That's <laughs> okay. fine. Like, and I think that's part of my job too to make things that they will hate. But I don't. But I'm not there. You know, I've had I've made a few hate raids in my time, either, and sometimes on purpose, but usually on accident. <laughs> um, but, but, I, but we're there. You know, we're there to sort of explain things to people. We're there to help to go inside and take people on a weird trip. And I think even Nellie Bowles is a really good example in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. She's a technology reporter. And um, she covered dopamine fasting the other day, as many of us have. And But she went to these guys' house while they were dopamine fasting, and she hung out with them. And it was funny, and there's definitely, like, a lot you can screenshot and put on Twitter mm -hmm. from it. But it's like, but she went, and she was like, here's people doing a So dopamine thing. fasting is you just, like, you have no yeah. stimuli for... Yeah, we should try that. <laughs> it's sort of like this podcast. It is, yes. <laughs> you don't do anything for a Someone day. the other day said that they that, that, that they use it to get to sleep. I don't know if that was a compliment or not. <laughs> I hope they're asleep right now. <laughs> the um no, the uh, but I, and I think that like we could have done a like 
there's we could have done a dumb service piece. We could have done a, like a hate read. We could have done like a, a vicious attack on the people of San Francisco or, or tech bros. But like it's instead I'd rather have the reporter spend the time going to someone's house and being like, what's this about? Like, how do you think about this? Like, and we end up with something sort of hilarious and empathetic at the same time. And I, I think that's sort of better for everyone involved. Okay. It's a more healthy ecosystem. I agree. I agree. Corey, thank you so much. Wow, I can't believe we did this together. What a what a delight. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, and I hope you did, please rate and review us on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast, Spotify too. And thank you to Pierre Bienname, who is our producer. 